Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoCellaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Saturday, June 1st, 2019, and this is show number 734. Well, Steve and I are gearing up to go to AltConf in San Jose tomorrow, also known as the Conference for People Who Couldn't Get Into Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. We're super excited and hope to come back with Tales of Adventure and hopefully, hopefully a few interviews with some developers. Steve bought me the Zoom H4n Pro, which I promise I'll review soon. This is a handheld recorder that is supposed to get great audio that records to an SD card. We'll see how that works out. Anyway, that's why the show is a day early. Well, with WWDC going on, you know, normally during live Apple events like this, the Nocilla Castaways like to gather in our live chat room. Steve and I will be in a conference hall watching the event live, even though it'll be like on a big TV. So we may be in the chat room with you, but no guarantees. But the chat room will be open. Now, Bart was promoted to hall monitor today, so we will have some adult supervision in there if Kevin gets out of hand again. If you haven't ever been into the chat room, head on over to podfeed.com slash chat, and then you'll be walked through how to create a login to the Discord service, which is where we host the chat. You can chat right there in the browser, or you can install the Discord app on just about any platform to use the native experience. Have fun together in there, whether we join in or not. Now, you may have noticed lately that my contributions to the NoSilicast during the weeks that we have a security bit segment, have been a little bit shorter than usual, and I completely blame Bart. You see, we record security bits and programming by stealth on the same weekend, which means my homework for class is due the same week as security bits. It all works out, though, because you get a nice, meaty show because of security bits. Now, I'm not complaining about doing the homework. I have been having so much fun with my homework these last few weeks that I've done little else around the house, to be honest. Even Tesla has had her walk shortened because I am obsessed with my coding progress. We've been writing a game and I'm having so much fun with it. Anyway, that's a long way of saying that Chit Chat Across the Pond this week was a Programming by Stealth episode. Bart has been promising to teach us about promises for ages now, and he finally fulfills his promise by explaining Venables. Promises are a tool to get us out of callback hell. Those are not my words. That's what the internet calls it. Anyway, we experienced callback hell a while back, and promises are what is going to get us out of that. Now, I think he made us suffer through it so that we'd appreciate promises. In this installment, he shows us the beauty and elegance of the concept, but he leaves us wanting more. It's kind of the first half of learning about promises. Bart spent a lot of time trying to get the show notes and his narrative to take this rather abstract concept and make it concrete, and I think he did a grand job of it. I told him afterward that this was one of those episodes where I grinned from ear to ear throughout the lesson because I enjoyed it so much. You can find this episode under Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice or under Chit Chat Across the Pond. And of course, you can listen right over at podfeet.com. When I was gainfully employed, I had to do a lot of big thinking stuff. I needed to get ideas down, organize them, and then figure out a compelling way to make my point. This was often to try to change policies in the company, influence technical decisions, justify the acquisition of new hardware and software tools, justify budget increases, or even justify why I thought my organization should be spared in a particular layoff season. I was really motivated to get my ideas conveyed and tailored to the specific audience. 
As is true in most companies, these ideas had to be presented in PowerPoint. Now, you've heard me complain about PowerPoint in the past, and you've probably also heard me say that I think Apple's Keynote is equally problematic. There's an underlying problem with these tools that I suspect affects many people. If I tried to gather my thoughts with PowerPoint open on the computer, I had a great deal of trouble capturing my ideas. I'd put down, say, a half dozen bullet points and then realize, oh man, I got a seventh idea, but it won't fit on the same chart. Well, now what do you do? Well, I'd start by shrinking the font. Then I'd try making some bullets into sub-bullets of bigger points. I'd start removing words from a sentence just so it would fit on one line. You know how you do in Twitter nowadays. Then I'd think, maybe a different font would look better. Did I really need that logo on top? You know, maybe there's a better template I could use that would give me more space. After those first six bullet points, I was in a point of diminishing returns on getting new ideas out of my head. I had to find a better way. I settled on a process that I used for the rest of my career. I went down to the photocopier and I pulled out a big stack of paper that people had printed on only one side and I dumped it on my desk. I grabbed the top piece and I started to scribble. Now, I could just draw a dash and an idea, another dash, another idea. When I ran out of room, I just grabbed the next piece of scratch paper and I kept writing. Or if I wanted to keep the ideas together, I could write really, really small, just to add one more idea, or even write vertically in the margins. I didn't even bother to spell things correctly. I didn't make full sentences, nor did I wordsmith to make bullet-appropriate points. When I decided something was stupid, I just drew a line through it. After a lot of thoughts were out on paper, I'd start drawing arrows to rearrange things, maybe add some numbers with circles around them to suggest the right order. It was anarchy, and I didn't care because I was actually getting my job done. I was thinking. Now, eventually, I had to cram my thoughts into PowerPoint, but that was always the very last step of my process. Now, what does all this have to do with today, other than hoping you'll try my idea if you do have to use a presentation application like PowerPoint or Keynote? Well, I've got a new process, and I'm loving it. As you know, I don't have a day job anymore. It's all podcasting now for me. One of the great joys of my retirement life is our podcast, Programming by Stealth with Bart Bouchatz. As you've heard me mention often, if you've been listening for a long time, he's teaching us to program through an audio podcast. The best part of the class is doing the homework. Seriously, I love it. I love it so much, I'm not getting anything else done. As I, became more, as I become more proficient at it, it's, it's becoming like an addictive drug. I mentioned earlier this week we're working on a little game we've all written independently. The game is quite simple. A random number is generated and the user has to guess the number. My game does work, but Bart gave us a new challenge. In response to his challenge, I'm making a graphical way to help the player visualize where they should guess next. It's not exactly what Bart said to do, but he doesn't seem to mind when we color outside the lines as long as we're practicing the things that we're learning. In Programming by Stealth this week, I told him what I was working on, and he was delighted. He loved it. He said, yeah, you're, you're definitely going outside the lines, but that's, you're using the stuff we're teaching, so this is great. Now, while PowerPoint and Keynote have nothing to do with this subject, I am using an application to capture my thinking. I'm writing in a code editor called Visual Code, I'm sorry, Visual Studio Code on my Mac. Believe it or not, it's from Microsoft. But guess what happens when you write in a code editor? You have to get the syntax exactly right. You can't be sloppy, you can't be careless, and you can't get your ideas out freely. It's just like being back in PowerPoint. 
So I started grabbing scratch paper, but that turned out to be problematic for two reasons. Number one, who prints anymore? (laughs) But anyway, I found a few pieces. But if I was away from my desk, I couldn't keep working on the problem because that paper was sitting up on my desk and it wasn't with me. So I abandoned that whole path. Instead, I'm using the fantastic app Notability from Ginger Labs. I've talked about Notability a lot of times about it on the show over the years. I even did a video tutorial for Screencast Online on it, and it's probably one of the few apps that I simply just keep coming back to. I don't think I use it the way the developers envisioned it, but I think it's fantastic for the way I do use it. So here's the typical scenario. I've got some code typed in, and some of it's working, but something isn't work properly. For example, right when I was working on this, I I was trying to draw an arc where I have to define the starting point in radians and the length of the arc in the percentage of a full circle. The math is super annoying, and the conditional if-else statements are a real challenge. Rather than grabbing a piece of paper, I've got my 12.9-inch iPad Pro with Apple Pencil sitting on my desk and Notability at hand. Now, you might ask why I'm not using the crayon I raved about just recently. It's because the pencil is stuck right to the top of the big iPad at all times, so it's very natural to use it first because it's charged up and it's ready to go. But the crayon is not being neglected. I will come back to the crayon in a moment. So I step away from my desk where I've been typing and coding in VS Code for hours, neglecting Steve and my friends and even Tesla, the dog, not the car. I go all the way to the other side of the room to my Ikea chair. I put my feet up and I open Notability on my 12.9-inch iPad Pro. I start by writing out what I'm trying to do and why I think my code isn't working. So that's just text. If I have to refer to a variable, such as circle start angle, which is written in camel case, I don't have to capitalize it correctly because I'm scribbling. I may even just write angle because I know what I mean. It doesn't matter because I'm scribbling. I can leave out important stuff like parentheses in an if statement and not worry my pretty little head about matching my squirrely brackets. I can get the idea out instead of worrying about the syntax. After a while, I go back to my Mac and I try to implement the ideas I scribbled down. I carefully put in all the darn parentheses and match all the stupid squirrely brackets until the code editor stops underlining things in red and yelling at me. I make progress this way, but it's not quite working the way I want it to just yet. So I walk away. Walking away is one of the best ways to fix your code. You just have to get away from it sometimes. So let's say it's a day or two later, and now I'm sitting down on the couch and I'm bored with the drivel on TV, so I pulled my iPad mini and my trusty crayon out of my purse. Told you I'd come back to the crayon. So crayon is my utensil of choice with the mini because both of the devices live in my purse and they're always with me. I power on the crayon and then notability on the mini, which of course syncs across my scribbles from the iPad Pro. I read over my ideas And then I see where possibly rearranging some of the commands would help. Or maybe I want to add a new variable between two lines. With Notability, unlike scratch paper, I can use the scissors tool to drag a lasso around a section of code and drag it to a new place on the virtual paper. I can move big sections or maybe just copy a chunk of code this way. Badly written, unformatted code, but still code. By the way, both Bart and Dorothy have told me that it's actually called pseudocode when you do this. Anyway... When I change ideas when I'm scribbling, or maybe I want to make sure I don't forget something, I can just tap on, tap on the pen icon in Notability and change the color. 
I don't have any kind of a standard for what each color means, but just a change in color alerts me to important things happening, ideas changing in some way. I can even use the highlighter tool to really draw my attention to something important. Off I go to test the new code on my Mac, but something unexpected happens. Like that darn arc I'm trying to draw starts at negative 2.32796 radians, which is around 37% of the circle counterclockwise instead of drawing 25% clockwise. Yeah, that happened. Anyway, I've got the JavaScript console running in the bottom of my Safari window, and I can query a few variables to see what the program thinks is happening. Well, actually, it knows what's happening. It's what I think is happening that's wrong. Anyway, so I've got all this stuff up on screen. I've got the graphics drawn on screen. I've got the JavaScript console there, and uh, and I've got my code on screen. Well, Notability runs on the Mac too. So I open up the perfectly synced note I worked on with the big and small iPads. Back in Visual Code, I can take a screenshot of the variables and the graphical results and paste it into Notability right next to my scribble code. Since I'm right there with my keyboard on the Mac, I can even type real text into the note to take down any observations I may have had about what was going on when I got these bad results. At some point in any project, you run into a mental wall. In the old days at work, when my friend Nancy and I would work on an Excel file together and we'd get stuck, we would always turn to formatting. For some reason, we'd think that if that row across the top was bold and a bigger font, we would know what was wrong with the equation below it. With Notability, you can do some formatting when your brain gets stuck. When I couldn't figure out that darn radian angle start thingy, I decided that plain white paper just wouldn't do. And I changed it to green graph paper on Notability. Green graph paper is soothing to me as that's what we always used for paper pads in engineering. I found them on Amazon, by the way, so you can see for yourself. You'd even click the link. It's an affiliate link. Anyway, looking at that green graph paper now on Notability, it feels like coming home to me. I feel I've got a really great way of thinking using Notability with Pencil on my 12.9-inch iPad Pro, Notability with Crayon on my iPad Mini, and Notability on my Mac with a keyboard and screenshots. I still don't have my coding project working properly, but I sure am having fun getting it done. The bottom line is that when you're really trying to think, don't use a computer. Write by hand and scribble away. I guarantee you'll find you think better this way. You don't have to use Notability, but just please don't use a keyboard. I've been using the Amazon affiliate links to help fund the show for a very long time. It's easy for you to support what we do here by simply using the links for things I talk about in the show. You know, like that graph paper I talked about just now. You probably want that. You should use that link. Anyway, a small percentage of what you spend may come right back to help me out. For a long time, if you were from another country, I may have had a specific URL for you to use to give me credit if you bought on Amazon, but it was pretty hard for you to use. Now, for at least Canada, the UK, and Germany, if you click on any of the Amazon links I put in the show notes, they won't take you to the US store now. They'll take you to your own store, and I still get credit. It's frictionless for you now, so I hope you'll give it a try. Now, I do have it on my radar to add more countries now that this is working so swimmingly. If you'd like me to put your country near the top of the list of ones to add, please be sure to let me know. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Boo Shots for June. How's it going? How'd it get to be June anyway? I am 
deeply disturbed by the fact that it's already June. That's just not right. Also, why did I get rained on this morning? It's June. <laughs> it's not even nice here. It's cloudy. Ooh. But we have a lot to get through in a short bit of time, so let's kick into it. Let us get stuck in. Some follow-ups first. Um, we talked a while ago about Cloudflare's new Warp VPN. Um, Andrew Orr over at TMO got a bit of a sneak peek. So if you're interested, have a look at that article. What caught my eye was support for something called the Split Tunnel. This is hmm. this is how you have your cake and eat it. So it's... Basically, your LAN stuff doesn't go through the tunnel so that you can still access your printers oh. and your Plex server and everything that's on your LAN. And then everything else does go through the tunnel. It's That's how you want a VPN to work. So it's really nice. Oh, to have yeah, that. that's nifty. I did. I, I don't remember if I said it on Security Bits before, but um, I got rid of Cloudflare's uh, DNS because they do there are that app. They have the one 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 dot one dot one. Right. Because it represented itself as a VPN. So in my in my menu bar at the top or whatever where the Wi-Fi signal is, it was telling me I had my VPN on. And yes, I want to know when my VPN's working. Yeah. Yeah, that is how it that is the only the only API available to it on iOS. And yeah. we, we did talk about that, that that was a definite downside of that's a rest- that's a limitation of the APIs available in iOS. There's no reason Probably. that a future iOS yeah. can't provide the new API they could use instead. But for now, that is definitely a downside. Yeah, I'll wait for that. But of course, okay. when, you, when they have a real VPN, then that's not a problem. That's a feature. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, security researchers... So we talked last time about there being a patch released for Windows XP and Server 2003... And it was a vulner- <coughs> excuse me a vulnerability in RDP, and at that stage, I don't think it had gotten as cool name yet. It's now known as Blue Keep, um, and we knew it was important, but now we're even more sure it's important because researchers have been scanning the internet for vulnerable RDP servers, and they found a million of them. And this is yeah. remotely wormable, remember? So you, with zero user interaction, you can take over these machines and have them do denial of service attacks or continue to spread the worm. So really. If you're running Windows XP or Windows Server 2003 and you think you may have left RDP enabled by mistake or on purpose, you really, really, really do need to patch. Hmm. Um, and There's a joke going around in the community, in the security community at the moment, that RDP has a new meaning. Really do patch. <laughs> And That's good. Yeah, Microsoft have also issued a second warning about the vulnerability because there is now proof of concept code out there that's leaked into the public. Oh, great! And it's not difficult to exploit. It's like, yeah, it's easy. It, this is not a, This is not one of those exploits where if you're really, really good, you can make it work ten percent of the time. No, no. This is if you're an idiot, you can make it work ninety percent of the time, hundred percent of the time. If you're even vaguely competent, it, it, it's it's bad. Yeah. Uh, we also talked quite a while ago, end of last year, about an idea that some GCHQ officers wrote about in a Lawfare article where they thought it might be nice if a public key for the British Intelligence Agency were added into conversations in encrypted channels. That way they could eavesdrop um, while working with the encryption. So uh, not not breaking encryption. Well, it's breaking it in a different way. <laughs> Is it, is it, would you call it a backdoor? Yeah, oh, it's completely a backdoor, right? It's, oh, right. It has a key and everything, right? I mean, they're literally saying it's like going into someone's house and secretly putting in door next to their door without telling them. Like, it's not using their door, it's using a different door, but it's still, 
secretly putting someone into a conversation to get around the fact that it's supposed to be private. It's a it's a backdoor. Now, they're calling it a ghost key because it's a key mm-hmm. you don't realize is in the conversation. I don't think that makes it any better. Um, from a technological point of view, you could argue that it doesn't it, it it doesn't involve completely destroying encryption, which I guess is better. <laughs> but it's not good. Uh, anyway, Microsoft, not Microsoft, Apple finally penned a letter in response. And after Apple did the legwork, Google, Microsoft, and WhatsApp uh, co-signed the letter as well. Uh, they're basically saying this is a terrible idea. Don't do this. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, your notes say they co-signed a letter, but it doesn't say what they said. It responds, but it, it says no and explains why. Yeah, it just basically this is a terrible idea because it still gets rid of, you know, it still has all the due process and privacy problems. It's like, okay, this okay. is technically feasible. Great. So is, you know, death penalty for stealing apples. It doesn't make it right or good or sensible. Right. Uh, just in case we haven't said it recently, GCHQ stands for Government Communication Headquarters, which is the in the UK, correct? Yes, and that sounds innocuous, but it's basically their equivalent of the CIA. Okay, all right. Signals intelligence, basically. Okay. I mean, good on them for trying to find a compromise, I suppose. It is, it, it, to be honest, it reminds me of San Bernardino. It's a technically feasible, terrible idea, <laughs> as opposed to a, a unicorn. <laughs> okay which is the other i mean that's the way these things break down right technically feasible bad ideas or but i mean these smart people in silicon valley they must be able to give us a key that only works for the good guys just do it with ai and machine learning and you have to have a blockchain crypto, in there, cryptocurrency uh, sorry has cryptocurrency to be a yeah, yeah. No, exactly. not currency it's blockchain blockchain is the key okay okay i always get that wrong in my unicorn description <laughs> anyway security medium number the first for today Mobile app tracking is in the spotlight, thanks to an article published by the Washington Post. Um, the article of the Washington Post was very sensationalistic. Um, it's the middle of the night. Do you know who your iPhone is talking to? The article is not well written. The article conflates a whole bunch of things, in my opinion. I think the article is poor. But the problem the article is highlighting is not nonsense. The, the problem is real. It's just not the sensation they're making it out to be. Okay. So the, the, what I take issue with in the article is that they conflate the fact that if I make an app and I buy an analytics service from a third party, a software as a service that I pay to gather data for me so that I can tweak the UI of my app, they just think that that's exactly the same as downloading a, a, ga- so a game that sells all of your data to Facebook. They think those two are the same. They're trackers. And therefore, OneDrive is the same as all of these dodgy flashlight apps. And I'm sorry, but that's not... That's just not right. That's not a proper way of looking at the world. And then the other big problem we have here is that people are saying, well, I mean, Apple say they care about privacy, but clearly they don't. I mean, how is this possible? Well, wait a minute. So what is the actual problem? You haven't said that yet. What is it that they're talking about? There are apps which send information to data brokers and advertising networks behind your back. Okay. Is that a newsflash? Nope. We have talked about this many, many times. This is something we have known about. This is like... It sounded familiar. Yeah, a free app from a for-profit company. They're not doing it out of charity. 
if you didn't buy the app, then your attention and or your data are being sold. Now, from a practical, well, Apple should just stop this point of view, what exactly is the difference between me buying a legitimate cycle tracking app, which sends my location data to their servers at my request on my behalf, and someone's buying on me? What is the difference from iOS's point of view? Zero. iOS sees a network connection that is encrypted sending some data that it can't see. Because it's encrypted, because Apple make you encrypt stuff. So to say that Apple could just turn this off is absolute nonsense. It's not understanding the fact that actually Apple would like you to use TLS and SSL. And besides that, all of our apps are front ends into the cloud these days. So what is the difference between legitimately doing what I wanted to do and doing what we think is creepy? Well, there's no technical difference. It's the same API is being used in the same way to send the same data. It's just who they're sending it to. And there's no magical, you know, there was an April Fool's. what they're Fools. doing with it when they get it. Yeah, there was an April Fool's about adding a bit to TCP IP headers, the malicious bit. And then if you set the malicious bit, the firewall could root out all malicious traffic. But, <laughs> but, you know, that's an April Fool up there with the I am not a teapot HTTP request type, or uh, response header. Like, it, it, it's status code even. <laughs> it It's nonsense. Pretty much the only thing Apple can do is they can say in their rules for the App Store that if you track people, you have to say so in your privacy policy. And that if you break that, then there are consequences. But that's kind of all Apple can do. Now, one argument I will make is if Apple were really serious about this, they could take that same rule and tweak it a little. If your app tracks people, you have to have a badge on the App Store that says that's how the app is funded. Well, yeah, and funded and not, well, it, l- let me push back on that a little bit. There are apps, for example, from Microsoft. There's uh, Seeing AI, which is a spectacular app mm. for um, for the visually impaired uh, that comes for free. You get it on the uh, on the App Store, and it allows you to do all kinds of cool things like uh, find out whether lights are on. You get a tone sure. for light. Uh, it lets you do OCR of documents. It does all kinds of really, really nifty things. Mm-hmm. Well, that app is not funded, I don't believe, by them tracking what I'm taking pictures of to do to do uh, OCR, right. because Microsoft is a real company with a real business model selling something else. Okay, that's so fine. That's not who would, I'm saying should have a badge. What I'm saying is it, Apple should update their privacy, their, their rules, or Apple could update the rules so that not only do you have to say you are tracking people in your privacy policy no one reads, if you're tracking people, then you also have to have this badge in the app store that says so. So that the privacy policy already says it, but no one ever sees it. So it could be like a little yes, no checkbox when you're submitting your app to the app store and you have to take well, the box. But, but, but you'd really have to get into the subtleties of what does it mean to be tracking. So your cycling app that sends you a ma- lets you see on a map where you've been, is that a tracking app? Well, no, well, be- no, no, because yeah. they're not selling your data, right? Apple already say that in your well, privacy okay. policy you have that's, this. That's what I'm... That's why I'm trying to distinguish what you said and what you meant. Uh, I know what you meant was if they're then selling that data. That that that's that's what you want the badge for, not just that they're tracking you. What are they doing with the tracking data when they get it? Is what you want a badge for, or they could put a badge out there. For. They could, in theory, because right now they already say that you have to have you have to ha- you have to state in your privacy policy that you do this. Well, it's one step from you have to state in your privacy policy to you have to tick this box so that we can put a badge in your app. I mean, it will be nice yeah. if they did that, but I don't think there's any, you know, I, I don't think we can say that, it, you know, it, it's a scandal they don't, but it would be an interesting way they could take this another step forward. 
Um, there's certainly nothing here that is any different. That's any different to what's happening anywhere else. You're buying apps, whether they be Windows apps, Mac apps, Android apps, web apps. Yeah, this is this isn't about Apple, but it it is an it is an interesting problem because, like you say, there are legitimate reasons to track you for the purposes of the app you're actually trying to use. Yeah, I mean, it's not suspicious that an app is communicating with the cloud. That's how apps work these days. Yeah. So there's no technical fix. The other thing I'm seeing, which is horrifically bad advice, I'm advising people not to follow. So Apple have this thing called background refresh that allows apps to communicate with the network in the background, but not all the time. So basically the iPhone bunches, or iOS, it works on all iOS devices, it bunches all of the network connectivity together into little windows, and it basically says, any app who wants to talk to the network, you can go now. And then it shuts them all up until the next window comes along. So it saves a massive amount of batteries because the radios get to be Mm. completely shut off. So that's called background app refresh. It's an extremely clever feature. And that's how these, that that is the mechanism by which this tracking is being done. It's also the mechanism by which your weather app knows what weather it is. It's also the mechanism by which your email (laughs) app knows what email you have. It's also the mechanism by which everything on your phone works. But the advice (laughs) on these websites, because background refresh is being used by these tracking apps, is to turn it off. It's like, oh, I see. We should have a worse user experience in our legitimate apps and worse battery life. To not protect us because the tracking will just happen all the time instead of when, in when you batches. Do bring it, or, or when you bring it up to the front. Or when you bring it up to the front. It's like, how does it this It doesn't stop help? it. It only causes problems, right? Yeah. Okay, good. How does making my iPhone worse help me in any way? You know, don't install the apps that track you is the only thing you can do. And to some extent, that's my approach. I don't install free apps from commercial companies. I would much rather buy an app. I like to buy apps in the App Store because, A, I understand that it takes time, effort, and you know money to make a good app. And I want developers to be able to make a living so they continue to put in time, effort, and money to make good apps. And B, I like the simplicity of a relationship where I'm the customer. They're they're selling me something. I give them my money, and it's just it's clean, it's easy, it's straightforward. So I like to buy my things in the app store, and that means I'm much less likely to run into this kind of stuff because I'm not buying these freeloading apps. Sorry, no, no, I'm, um, not, not, I'm not taking <laughs> these free. I'm not downloading these freeloading apps. I like I like freeloading. That's a great sentence and or phrase in this context. Um, now you don't mean that you wouldn't download, for example, seeing AI for Microsoft just because it's free, right? No, because Microsoft are a company with a, who who have earned my trust. I mean, it, it comes down okay, to but you, you said you wouldn't download a free app from a commercial company. That's why I was trying to distinguish what you meant. I. <laughs> there I, are I feel cases like I'm on where trial it makes sense. Here. Did you, did you take no, the bar no, no, recently? I mean, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I'm trying to, to get you to clarify what you meant because I knew you didn't mean that. That's I'm just trying to, to free apps in and of themselves are not bad, but if it's the only way that company, that commercial company is making money, then there's something they don't have another business model. That's what you meant. You wouldn't you don't download that. Yeah, I mean it, it comes down to reputation, right? It's you're making judgment calls, you're making reputation calls and you can use there's usually bad smells about dodgy apps. Like, you know, yeah. icky screenshots, terrible grammar. <laughs> it's not unlike spam email, to be honest. <laughs> you usually know you're being scammed long before you hover over the link that goes somewhere it shouldn't go. Right, right. 
Yeah. And if there's a prince somewhere in Nigeria that wants your money. <laughs> yeah. Maybe no. that. Um, I think that sort of covers that one, unless unless you have anything okay. else to add. Oh, um, so you linked to the to the Washington Post article, but you also linked to a Daring Fireball article, but the title sounds like it would be the opposite of what you're saying. The title is iOS apps grossly abusing background app refresh for tracking purposes. Well, they they are abusing it for tracking people. But, you know, websites are abusing HTTP for tracking people, too. Well, that's just as inflammatory as that that Washington Post article. Isn't it? That's really inflammatory. That sounds like a, like a, a, a I mean, if it correctly is uh, highlighting a problem, that, that same but sounds the, the, There are apps grossly same. abusing background app refresh. That is true it's just right right but uh, i just you seem to think that the washington I, well okay i haven't read the washington right, post article okay, or the, 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 the article the problem is in the bottom oh, the problem okay. is gotcha, the problem gotcha, starts gotcha. with the okay. first character of the washington post article and ends with the full stop at the end <laughs> okay all right because the very beginning of daring for of uh gruber's article says uh it's 3 a.m do you know what your iphone is doing and the washington article washington post article says it's the middle of the night do you know who your iphone is talking to so they sounded the same not having read either of them i think he's riffing <laughs> off oh uh, okay okay it is john right gotcha. it's, it's yeah there is a tongue in the presence of a cheek <laughs> got it got it okay okay so security medium the second then is apple's Privacy preserving ad click attribution. Really rolls up yeah, the tongue. We haven't, talk, we haven't talked about this one yet. I must have just talked to you about it. Talk, oh, I asked your advice on understanding it. That's what it was. Yes, you talked to me about it offline uh, because. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, because you had re- you had heard about it or talked about it with. Uh, or needed to DTNS be intelligent about it on a show. Needed, yeah. We're doing your prep or something. Yeah. DTNS was involved. Anyway. So Apple have announced this thing they're calling Privacy Preserving Ad Click Attribution, and it's a protocol, and they're working towards developing it into a standard through the W3C Web Platform Incubator Community Group, better known as the WICG. These are basically people what make the internet go who get together to agree on standards. So the fact that Apple are trying to make this into a standard is a very sensible thing for them to want to do. So what is the aim of this thing, this protocol? It's to give you a privacy-respecting mechanism for tracking online ad effectiveness. So in the last year and a half or so, Apple have put a lot of effort into having their browser stop ad networks from tracking users across the internet because it's grossly privacy-invading. But the thing is, it's also making it extremely difficult, if not impossible, for the advertising industry to understand which ads work and which ads don't. And that affects people trying to sell ads because they don't know what to charge for them. And it affects people trying to buy ads because they don't know what to pay for them. And it makes it very difficult to have a market if you don't know whether or not a thing works that you're trying to pay for. And the ad the ad industry really has been suffering by the fact that iOS now has a privacy-respecting browser by default. And that is putting the free web under some pressure because it's funded by ads. Right. So what Apple is trying... What, Apple, what Apple's aim with this protocol is to have our cake and eat it. The advertisers... What the advertisers say they need to know, 
if they're being entirely honest with us, which I'm not entirely sure they're being completely honest, but they have a point in this regard anyway. So let's assume they're being honest. What they need to know is whether is how many people who click on an ad actually go through and make the purchase. So if you... if That seems reasonable. Yeah. It's called the conversion rate. Right. I, I paid for this ad. Am I getting my money's worth? Yeah, exactly. And the other way to look at it is we, we sold this ad. Did we give these people a... Ter- did we really do ourselves a terrible disservice and charge far too little money for it? It's, you know, it's, okay. So it's also valid as well. So at the moment, the mechanism for that has been tracking cookies, which doesn't only tell advertisers the conversion rate, it also lets them watch us as we go around the entire internet and basically build up massive profiles of us. So what Apple has proposed is a protocol which disconnects those two things. It provides Hmm. an entirely separate mechanism for telling both the seller and the consumer, so the seller and the purchaser of the ad what the conversion rate is, but not who did the converting. So Hmm. 500 people clicked on your ad, of them, 25 made a purchase. You don't know who those 25 were, where else they surfed on the internet, what other ads they clicked on, what their Facebook profile is, what their Twitter profile is. You don't know any of the, the freaky stuff. But you do know that your ad gave you a 25 out of 500 conversion rate. Now, would they know uh, where they came from when they clicked the ad? Like they'd know that it was on podfeed.com, not on bartb.ie? Yes, yes. I mean, that's what defines an ad, right? Okay. Is, you know, where is the ad and where did, where did they go? So, okay. yes. So basically both parties of the ad would know which ad, the, which ad they were talking about. So instead of just throwing out the baby with the bathwater, they can uh, give you your cake and eat it too, essentially, is the idea? That is the idea. So this means that, so Apple is facilitating an internet where we can continue to have effective advertising funding a free internet, and we can have privacy. So is this specific to Safari? Okay, so right now, okay, the protocol is not specific to any sp- browser, right? So they they have developed this protocol. They're in the process of trying to get it standardized. So they're not keeping it secret in any way. It's just that the only browser that has actually implemented it so far is a beta version of Safari. Okay. So this is something that they are trying to get adopted as opposed to something they're trying to do a solo run on. So they, they want this to become a web standard. Which is the only way. Is anyone else trying to to work on the same problem? I mean, uh, Microsoft or Google? Well, probably, well, Google's probably not leading the charge, but maybe Microsoft. Well, actually, no. Google actually has done a lot of stuff about responsible ads and stuff. So this has all been done through the Web Platform Incubator Community Group, the WICG, and that has all of those people you just mentioned as members. So if they're working through that group, that means they are actually working with all of the major browser vendors. Okay, but the other browser vendors might, I mean, whenever you hear um, we're trying to make it a standard, there's always somebody else who's got a different standard they think would be cooler. That's all I was I am not aware of ideas. anyone else with an alternative. Okay. Or there being a competition between two or anything like that. This just seems to be an idea that Apple are in the process of trying to get adopted. It remains to be seen how they succeed. Uh, what's really nice, actually, so they, on webkit.org, they've detailed how it works. It's really well written. It is entirely human being friendly. Really? Yeah, now you don't have to keep reading the entire page, but if you read, you know, two scroll bars worth, you will understand what's going on. 
and you may or may not care about the nitty gritty detail, but they're further down the page. But those those opening, you know, few scrolls, few screenfuls are extremely well written using plain simple language. I was very impressed. Oh, neat. So, on the whole, yeah, I'm, I, yeah. So I would actually recommend that people are curious to have a read. It's, it's actually quite good. So the, I, the reason I called Bart about this originally was when when I read the article that described that that Apple was proposing this. Uh, privacy preserving ad click attribution proposal uh was it sounded just like what they already do which is blocking ads or from tracking you and that's when you explained to me that well no actually that's that's what they do now and they the uh advertisers can't get the money they need and you know for the for the free internet to work that needs to be there yep so this is basically and you could look at it as a, as a way to stop Apple's protection of people's privacy from ending the ad industry. Which is probably good. Yeah. Now, I have been diligently avoiding talking about the whole Huawei spat on this segment of the show because, frankly, I don't think it, it, it has not until now affected our listeners. And this isn't a politics show. Un- yeah, is there a way of talking about it without politics? Unfortunately, we now have to talk about it from the point of view of security, but not, I don't care about the politics. The point I want to make, it has now become very important for every listener of the show who is the owner of a Huawei device to watch this story. For a moment, you were actually cut off from ever getting a security update again. And that's been wound back a little after the internet went, what? Are these only people in the United States? No, 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 because no, because this affects everyone on planet Earth. Because Google yeah, are in America. Should, yeah, step a little bit into exactly what's been blocked that affects this story. So basically, the U.S. government have said that American companies cannot do business with Huawei for security reasons. They're right. dubious at best. That's not the point of this show. Right. That means that Huawei cannot get or could not initially with the initial the initial ban was just blanket. No U.S. company may give any software or hardware to Huawei. Software or hardware. Google is an American company. Android is software. Huawei had just been cut off from ever getting the monthly security updates for Android, which means that every Huawei right. phone had just become insecurable. So the right, bugs would right. be, the bugs would be patched. Everyone would know what they were, and the Huawei phones would remain vulnerable forevermore. That is not tenable. Where things stand now is that until the 19th of October, Google are allowed to give Huawei security updates. What will happen after the 19th of October, we do not know. Right. So right now, if you own a Huawei phone, you need to understand that you have to watch the news. You actually have to watch this to know whether your phone is safe to use because the moment you stop getting security updates, you can't use that phone safely anymore. It has become impossible to safely use that phone, so you're going to have to buy a new phone. I'm hoping it won't come to that. And I've just spotted a typo in the show notes that August should be in October in the last paragraph. Oh, okay. So I I have a, a just sideways thing I think I can say without saying any political words is what one of the things I find fascinating from this is uh, how intertwined we are as as global economies. Um, mm. 
I I have always lived under the impression that, you know, all phones come from China or or South Korea. That's it. Everything is made there. But the 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 way these bands are going to affect um Huawei phones can't have corning glass fronts on them. Right. The glass is gone. They can't have the um uh the arm processor even though that that's that's held in uh in England or in the UK the the, the so- a lot of the software that goes along with it is from the United States they can't have the radios cuz those are from Qualcomm that's in San Diego and all of a sudden you're like well wait a minute okay what do they have left they don't have an operating system they don't have the Google Play Store they don't have the yeah. the, the glass the processor or the radios yeah what part of the phone do they have left even though no phones are made here so it, it's just fascinating how intertwined we really are, and we have to learn to play nice with each other. The reason we're so intertwined is because for decades we have been playing nice with each other. Yeah. And I get very cranky when people say, China make iPhones. No, China assemble iPhones. Yeah. America yeah. makes most of the iPhone. Like you say, the Corning glass, world-leading glass, that, you know, every iPhone around the world, whether it be here in Ireland or in America, that glass came from America. The CPUs powering that iPhone were made in America. If you think about it, the three, the three most Wait, expensive... the CPUs are? The ARM process? Oh, yeah, because Apple started their own foundry. That's right. Yeah. So, basically, what's happening is... All of these tariffs and stuff, it's American companies are exporting the parts to China. China's turning, is assembling those parts into an iPhone and then returning the iPhone. But if the tariffs start hitting you both ways, you're destroying this global value chain. Yeah. And it's American jobs that are making the parts that are going to China, which are now being hampered. And then Chinese workers assembling the phone and they're being hampered. It's just lose-lose. You know, well, no we, also, we haven't we haven't talked at all about the security implications of a company that uh, that is basically operated by the Chinese government or overseen with a, a heavy capital O on it. Well, they're, uh, okay, so it's no different to what. Okay, so the difference, the only difference I can see, is that in America, when it happened, when the government tries to interfere, we know about it. We've seen it with our own mm-hmm. eyes. It happened in San Bernardino. What the mm-hmm. U.S. government did in San Bernardino is what everyone is afraid the Chinese government is doing. The reason they're afraid of it is because they're doing well, it Well, tried to do. Didn't do. Right. What they tried, tried to do. To the do. difference is that in China, you won't know they've tried and they will succeed more. They were more likely to succeed. China still still have right. courts and those courts do still do things, but we don't really know what's going on. So the reason the American well, government... And, and it's one country against another country. So we're getting political here. Oh, we, I, I just wanted to say it's not just about trade war. It's also got this whole... There's basically nobody to like in this plot. Can we agree on that? I, I don't think it's about liking. <laughs> There's an awful lot of very bad facts going on. Well, are you saying what I said was no, not No, 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 no. I'm not saying your facts are wrong. Okay. No, 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 no. Absolutely, positively yeah. not. I am saying that Wait. an awful lot of the voices you hear on this topic are talking absolute poop. Up to and including the representatives of all countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is more okay. misinformation around this topic than you can shake every twig, branch and stick at. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, like I say, the point is, it has now fallen into our bailiwick for the simple reason that if I, if you own a phone with a Huawei badge on it, you need your Android security updates. And let's hope to goodness you keep getting them. 
Watch this space. Watch watch this space, exactly. So, notable security updates. Firefox 67 has been released. It patches two critical bugs and also brings some nice privacy improvements, including improved fingerprinting protection. uh, That is, uh, protecting your browser from being fingerprinted. Crypto miner blocking. And a really nice one, control over which plugins and passwords are available in private browsing mode. So private browsing mode, much friendlier. Mm. My one password now works in private browsing mode. This I like. Oh, it's not just that you can... So you whitelist uh, plugins. Oh, okay. So I have whitelisted one password. Yeah. And then all my passwords are fine, because I don't use Firefox's built-in password manager. I has a good one. (laughs) Right. Um, Apple have released a firmware update for their now discontinued airport line of routers. So you should grab that if you have one of those. Look for the little orange blinky light wherever you've hidden your Apple router. And there are thousands of TP-Link routers that are in need of a security update to fix them from a nasty remote hijacking bug. And as best as I can make out, there is a patch, but TP-Link aren't proactively telling users there's a patch. So if you ask your router to check for updates, it doesn't see it. But if you go to the website, you can download it. It's very confusing. Oh, geez. But anyway, the article mentions the models of TP-Link and links to the software page. So if I owned a TP-Link router, I'd be checking that out. Well, I'm pretty sure two weeks ago we said if we owned TP-Link routers, uh, we'd we'd throw them in the bin already. That there's also I can't remember if that was TP Link or one of the other common ones, but there's a lot. Of, oh, was it D Link? It was D Link. It might have been D Link. There's a lot of yeah, very, yeah, yeah. A, there's Sorry, a lot of TP-Link. bad router makers. Yeah, which is why it's so annoying that Apple have got out of the business. It's like you were good at this. Why did why did you leave? Anyway, notable news. Um, oh, you can delete that first story. That's a copy of what became promoted to a security medium. Okay, okay. Uh, beware Noke Lock Smart Padlocks. These things were cheap and they were actually sold on Amazon with the Amazon's Choice branding next to them. They are a security train wreck. Um, not only can they be remotely unlocked, but they can also be removed from your account and added to someone else's, so you can basically be held to ransom by your lock. Although I guess if you then go and find the security vulnerabilities yourself, you can steal it back from the person who sold it from you and take control of your lock again, and you can have a little fight over your lock. Ugh. But either no, way, these, these are padlocks, not not like front door locks. These no, are they're padlocks like for a bicycle or something. Well, they're smart padlocks, so I guess you might use them to lock your garden shed or something. Whatever you'd use a padlock yeah. for, you'd use a smart padlock right, for. Right. I, I just want to dis- distinguish them from like a uh, your actual front door. Yes. Oh. These, these weren't expensive. They were 30 to $40. So they're, they're not. Still. Yeah. Yeah, it's cheap as, though. As Steve Gibson and, and Leo said just last week on this show, you, uh, you don't get to use uh, cheap and commodity parts as your excuse for uh, for not doing security right. You do not, precisely, because it absolutely positively can be done, as is demonstrated by those cool cameras whose name I can't remember right now. Wise. Wise, the Wise the games. Yeah. Um, a security researcher has demonstrated a phishing technique that can be used to trick users into bypassing Gatekeeper and running malicious apps on macOS. Mm-hmm. Now, this is completely the Trojan territory as opposed to the remote hacking territory. 
And the whole thing does involve social engineering because you have to trick the user into opening a malicious zip file. So basically our standard advice of don't go randomly double-clicking things you get in emails or download from the web that you weren't expecting and they aren't coming from somewhere you trust because while in theory extracting a zip file shouldn't allow anything nasty to happen, in this case extracting a zip file can be the first step towards a sequence of events which can end up in basically an app that was inside that zip file getting to run without gatekeeper stopping it. So Mm. basically this doesn't leave you any worse off than if you didn't have gatekeeper because you just ran someone's app. But it means that Apple telling you, are you sure, didn't happen. So it's not good, but it's a case of... You know, it turns out that you, your belt is gone. But okay, yeah, basically all the, the, the this is not a, a set your hair on fire kind of attack because it involves tricking you into infecting yourself. Nonetheless, Apple need to just fix a little hole that makes this trick a little bit more effective than it should be. So what should happen okay. when they trick you is that you get told by gatekeeper, "Are you sure?" And what actually happens is you're not told by gatekeeper, "Are you sure?" But they still have yeah. to trick you into running the damn thing in the first place. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, so it's but it all. It, it, this is all on the Mac, right? Is this is on the Mac. About? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So basically, don't don't double click stuff from untrusted sources. But that's kind of always been our advice. It's nothing, you know. Don't well, say you're here. And, and, un- and untrusted again is defined as people you actually know sending you stuff, but you didn't expect it, or it just doesn't sound like them. Yep, because of course I I have a I have an acquaintance on Facebook who Facebook messengered me. This is amazing. Be sure to watch all the way to the end. I haven't spoken to this woman in twenty years. We're only Facebook friends. I bet that's not real. Yes, that definitely that's not the tone of voice Bob usually uses or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I just know that there would have been some sort of preamble before that if it had if she really meant to send that. And I don't know even know her well enough to say so. You got hacked, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course, email you can fake from addresses and stuff. So yeah, yeah. This was Facebook Messenger, so so hacking is more likely. And she's which we know and she's never messengered me before ever. Um, security researchers have found that over a quarter of iOS devices can be accessed with one of the 20 most popular pins. In other words, we humans are terrible at being random. Really, really terrible at being random. <laughs> so the link in the show notes is to an article like Cult of Mac, and it actually lists the 20 most common passcodes, which does include 1234, um, but there are other ones too. If you're using a pin to unlock your iPhone, I have two pieces of advice. One, at the very, 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 very least, make sure you're not in that list of 20 pins because a one in four chance of getting in with those 20 pins, that's bad. Secondly, if you're one of the people who can use Touch ID or Face ID, maybe it's time to switch to an actual passcode, so an actual password, alphanumeric passcode, because you don't have to enter it very often if you have either Touch ID or Face ID enabled. So it ceases to be the impediment it would have been three or four years ago. Now, I thought I would hear you say, at the very least, go with a six-digit passcode. That too, yes. That is, Apple are now pushing people that way too, so that is also a valid point, yes. Um, Yeah. 
But, you know, if you have touch ID or face ID, maybe a, a numeric pin isn't really the way to go anymore. These devices are immensely personal. They contain massive amounts of personal data. They they, they really could do with a bit of stronger protection than uh, even a six-digit yeah. pin. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm fascinated by is I, on the iPhone, I don't think I can remember the last time I was forced to enter my one password. Uh, and I use, you know, I use Face ID all the time for everything. I get in and buy stuff. And I, I, but why do I have to type my Apple ID password all the time in the App Store? And why do I have to type things? I have to type my one password on my Mac all the time. Um, oh, well, you know, you got to re-enable that now, you know. Okay, well, the, the the App Store, you were asked whether or not to ask for your password at some stage because my App Store doesn't ask me for my password anymore because I told it I didn't want it to. I tell it over and over again, and then, I don't know, a few months down the line, it'll be hollering at me again. Oh, uh, sure, when I do a software update, like a major software update, sometimes these things get reset, but it's not like every week it asks me, because I'm buying stuff all the time, which is well, but Face on, ID on and my Mac it does. On my Mac, it does all the time. But all the time! At some point, did I mean, you check the checkbox that says, ask me after 15 minutes? Because that's, that's, that's the first time you buy something and ask you, do you want me to ask your password in future? And one of the options is after 15 minutes, which is I tell you what, some some uh, uh, no silicastway is is listening right now and is saying, "Allison, you moron, go into blah 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 and click and click and click and uncheck this box and you'll be fine." So if you people would write that to me, that would be great. A few screenshots too while you're at it. Yeah, that would be swell if you would throw that in as well. But I just, I mean, I just it's constant. I mean, I, I and the number I have Touch ID on my Mac. Why can't I use Touch ID on my Mac? Why is it if uh, when I do a um. Oh, just all kinds of installation things. I mean, you know, something needs access to my Mac. I, sometimes I can use Touch ID, but most of the time I can't. I would I, imagine I type my local, I type my local Mac's at, uh, uh, password. That one I have to type all the time, too. Why do I have to type that? No, I think future versions of macOS will make more use of those new APIs. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um. Facebook have not had a good two weeks in the court in in the Delaware Chancellery Court. They are in there defending themselves against a shareholder lawsuit over the whole Cambridge Analytica kerfuffle. Uh, so the first thing they lost is uh, sort of the, the 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 you know an actual legal thing, as in they were ordered by a judge to hand over a bunch of internal emails describing what they were up to while this Cambridge thing was going on. I imagine when those come out, it's going to paint some people, like, say, Mr. Zuckerberg and Madame Sunberg, in a negative light, is my my guess. We shall see. What also happened that actually made me, like, pretty much actually spit out my coffee. Not quite, but I came darn close to needing a new keyboard. In a good way or a bad way? Well, I don't think they meant to be this honest. Okay. Oren Cinder is a lawyer for Facebook who is defending them in this court case. And he actually made the argument in court, and I am now quoting his actual words, uh, or at least, you know, basically, okay, so you can see which bits are quotes in the show notes, but um, yes, his argument is that Facebook can't be guilty of invasion of privacy because its users, quote, have no expectation of privacy, end quote. So, quote, there is no invasion of privacy at all because there is no privacy, end quote. Oh, jeez. 
Yeah, true. I don't think you meant to say that out loud. (laughs) We know you think that. Wow. Wow. That's that's some interesting honesty. (laughs) What if they prove that to be true, though? (laughs) The judge pushed back a little. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't gel with your company's other statements. The company appears to imply it does preserve privacy. So yeah, wow. it, it, that was like, okay, I can't really believe you made that argument in a court of law in front of a judge with, you know, he's an intelligent person. He's a judge. <laughs> anyway, um, The Intercept is reporting that Facebook offers cell, carri- cell phone carriers around the world extra data pulled from users' cell phones by Facebook's mobile phone apps, i.e. Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram. So in other words, if you are a Vodafone or a T-Mobile or a Verizon or whatever, you can pay Facebook a little bit of extra money and Facebook will tie together what users are doing in Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram with their activities on the cellular network so that those companies can connect together the profile they have of you based on what you do as their customer and what you do on all of Facebook's properties, which is rather valuable. Oh, my gosh. So I assume they're not offering it to the cell carriers for free. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Offering as in this is a product. And they don't offer this product to the general public. They only offer to select companies, which happens to include the cell carriers. So we often hear that some partners get more data than others. We've heard that many, many times. So here's the, the Intercepts reporting has basically dug up the paperwork, the paper trail that shows that an example of these kind of secret uber cool deals that you will not find if you go to Facebook's page to try to buy their publicly available ad services, they have dug up the paper trail for this particular service they're selling to cell phone carriers. It's just oh, ache. Now, in a good news, bad news kind of story, so bad news... Turns out Google made a colossal boo-boo in the firmware of their new Titan Bluetooth keys. So these are two-factor OS keys using the whole new FIDO2 thing that we're going to talk about soon. Uh, they, they, they didn't quite read the Bluetooth spec as well as they should have. And they made a mistake in the hardware of these devices that is simply unpatchable. All you can do is throw the key in the bin and get a new key. So that's the bad news. The good news is they found the problem and they're giving everyone a new key for free. You know, mistakes happen. Oh, that's good. Yeah, mistakes happen. You judge a company by how they respond. They responded well. This is early days for this 502 technology, so not entirely unexpected. It's good to see them respond correctly and promptly. So, you know, some people, I'm sure, are having a whole bunch of schadenfreude about this. I just think, no, okay, that's good. It's important to know that if you have a Titan Bluetooth key, you're entitled to a free replacement. You should make sure you get that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next, then, is that Google have updated their App Store policies on Google Play for apps targeted at kids. The bottom line is they're really tightening down on what's considered acceptable in an app that's either explicitly targeted at kids or also an app that's not officially a kid's app, but that is nonetheless appealing to kids. You're Basically, you're not allowed okay. to put an app in the App Store that you don't tick the kids box and therefore bypass the extra strict kids rules, but that when you look at it, it's clearly marketed at kids. Just like you can't market alcohol at kids, you can't market stuff at kids in the Play Store unless you make it a kid's app. And if you make it a kid's app, there's way tighter rules, and that seems entirely appropriate. So basically, this is all really sensible housekeeping by Google, 
and they just should be applauded for continuing to do sensible things with their Play Store. So you're saying sort of like uh, when you say things that aren't necessarily for kids but are attractive to kids, like candy-flavored cigarettes? Exactly those kind of things, yeah. <laughs> obviously the digital equivalent, but yes. Right, right. Yeah. And some of that digital stuff is about as addictive, actually. Yeah, really. Uh, the last one here is a very interesting story. So I have long argued that it is a fallacy to give us this false choice between either we can have an internet powered by advertising or we can have privacy. We can't have both. And I've always said that's not true because there's actually two ways to sell ads. You can sell ads against the reader, i.e. profile people, track people, invade people's privacy, or you can sell ads against the context. If I am on a website for astronomers, that seems like a good place to sell me a telescope. You don't need to know who I am. You just know that your ad is appearing on Sky and Telescope. That is sufficient for an awful lot of advertising. So you might wonder, are there some scientific numbers to back up Bart's intuition? Well, the answer is (laughs) yes, thanks to a new study that's just been released. Uh, So researchers tracked the difference in the click, basically in the conversion rate of a targeted ad campaign targeted against people and an ad campaign targeted against where it was displayed, so a regular regular ad campaign. And what they had found in this research is that ad companies charge two and a half times as much for the behavioral ads than they do for the regular ads, but the conversion rate is only 4% higher. So value for money-wise, it's actually worse. Wow. Why? Really? Yes. Now, this is a study. I don't understand. That's unintuitive, isn't it? It is unintuitive. Now, this is a study. So, this is definitely very interesting. But no piece of science is concluded by a study. Other researchers Mm -hmm. now need to repeat this experiment. And this needs to be more research needs to be done. But goodness me, is this a very interesting cat that just been set among the pigeons here. So, you know, this is yeah, not that, case closed, but... Cat, a cat set amongst the pigeons. <laughs> is this another one of those idioms that I think is global that you've never heard before? Nope. Nope. Never heard of it. Well, you can imagine, it, would right? It, is it the 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 uh, fox guarding the hen, the hen house? Well, no. So imagine the pigeons are out in, you know, uh, the London city square and a cat comes charging in and it's just chaos. Right? You've just caused oh, okay. chaos. You've set a cat among the oh, pigeons. Okay. Okay. Okay, I got you, got you. So anyway, it's a fascinating study, and I really hope that this triggers a lot more research in this area because I want to see more data on this. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm just, I... No, that can't be right. They could charge... I mean, I, if they were charging 3% more, it would be better value for money. They're basically, by making it two and a half times as expensive, they're... They're assuming they're basically they're they're capitalizing on the fact that people think that behavioral tracking should be way better than just targeting ads based on where they're seen. And in reality, in terms of actually getting conversions, that doesn't appear to be true. So the it old just, ad it model just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if your your brother is not a photographer and you are, mm-hmm. and you shop for cameras all the time, mm-hmm. and you go to camera uh, websites then I can't believe that targeting you with camera ads would be 
more than two and a half times as effective as targeting your brother with that. Okay, but remember, me and my brother will go to different websites. So you're targeting the websites. Right, but the website... hmm. Right? You're still targeting. You're just not targeting by tracking the humans. You're targeting by tracking where the humans go. And if you're the kind of person who likes photography, then you're going to go to photography places. Okay, you're saying that part could still be true. No, but that is true, right? So there are the two kind of ads that were checked. Tracking the human versus tracking the context. Okay. Okay, sorry. I, I conflated that into one. Okay. Yeah. So you pay oh. twice as much to track the human as you do for targeting based on context. But in terms of the boost in effectiveness, you only get a 4% boost in effectiveness by tracking the human instead of tracking the context. Okay. Oh, then I really like this study. Now I'm on board. Yeah. I'm glad I asked you to, to clarify. I got it backwards. Okay, good. Yeah. So it's, huh. it's uh, to me, I mean, I've been saying this for years because I know for a fact that the magazine industry survived it by this way for decades. That's how television ads work, right? The kind of people who watch Game of Thrones are the kind of people who like X, Y, and Z. So we pair the ads with the kind of people. So you're still targeting people, but you're targeting them by what they like instead of by where they've been on the internet. Yeah. It's, you know, you don't have to be creepy to do effective advertising. And with Apple's new protocol, we can know how effective we are and we can know we're getting value for money. So it's, it's all good. Anyway, suggested reading. There is a lot in here. Um, again, it's suggested reading, so we're not going to dive into these in too much detail. Uh, PSA's tips and advice, though. Um, I think we have said for a long time that a VPN is not a panacea. Just because something is a VPN doesn't mean it makes you more secure. If you buy a VPN from a shady company that's for profit and charges you nothing, there's something going on. They're probably spying on you and selling all your data. And what they've actually done is they've turned themselves into your ISP and given themselves an amazing position of power over you, and they've lured you in there for free. That That's dodgy as all, you know, heck. Well, the yeah, US... Remember- Remember one little little factoid, or I don't know. Some people say I use that word wrong, but uh, or incorrectly. But um, I had one of the guys from Encrypt.me on the show on yes. uh, Chit Chat, and I asked him, "How come you're never listed on the top ten VPN uh, apps?" And he said quite quickly, "Because we don't pay to be on those lists." Basically, what he said was because we're not scammers. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, those are so I I'm starting to doubt all top 10 lists and never trust that." I was looking Good for call. a for a pool alarm on and uh I I found top 10 pool alarms all over the place. Every single one of them started with, "Well, this isn't technically a pool alarm, but these things that that uh tell you if your door opens are really good." Huh. Yeah. So I didn't look at anything else on those lists as a result. So be wary of that. Don't choose your VPN by a top 10 VPN list, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I would say, yeah, you're, you're dead right. There is a lot of content that is actually an advertisement in disguise. Paid for content. Or native mm. advertising is the euphemism for this shenanigans. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, while these top 10 lists are, you know, s- suspicious as all be Jesus, um... There are sites who dedicate themselves to, to to doing this kind of stuff properly. So the wire cutter would be an example of somewhere I would go to get a recommendation oh, yeah. because they yeah. they don't give you ten, right? They break it down for you way more simply. This one's the best. This one's the best value for money, and this is the runner up. Take your pick. It, it's just it's so and, good. And it's, if you go to Wirecutter and you find something that they recommend there, 
Do not go over to podfeed.com and use my Amazon affiliate link. Use theirs. When I, when I quote that I found something from them, you will not be directed to my affiliate link. I will make you go to theirs because they, they did the work to, to deserve that. Uh, so definitely buy directly from them when you do it. Yeah, they're Please. good people. So yeah, I, I approve this message. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, so anyway, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security are also worrying that as well as being scammed, if you are, say, a government employee or something, you should be double, triple suspicious of free slash unrealistically cheap VPNs because there may not be a, there may not be private corporations trying to scam you. There may be foreign governments trying to spy on you with a free VPN offering you quote unquote security while you're doing your government work. You know, that's probably good advice. Um, a warning from Brian Krebs: Legal threats make powerful phishing lures. Scare the bleep out of you is a very good way to get you to click on a link you shouldn't. Beware of that fact. Um, and then finally, a nice article from Intego in terms of PSA tips and advice: What every Apple user should know about software updates. I think our listeners know this. But this is the kind of link I would suggest our listeners keep in their back pocket to help family members or friends who are struggling a bit. It's just one of those okay. nice links to be able to just give to people. Notable breaches and privacy violations. Notice two of these have fire extinguishers next to them, which is pleasing. Okay. It those is the a ones true... where we don't have to be on fire, right? Yes, exactly. So it is a true fact that there was a data breach on Stack Overflow. However, don't panic. A, it was very quickly addressed, and B, the data that leaked was names, email addresses, and IP addresses, which is obviously not great, but it also was like literally just a few hundred people, and everyone involved has been proactively notified by the company. So if you haven't heard anything from Stack Overflow, this does not affect you, and even if it does affect you, it's not your passwords, it's not your credit card numbers, it's your IP address, your name, and your email. That leaves you a okay, little bit open good. to phishing, so it's not good, but it's not auga auga, and it's not a case that everyone with a Stack Overflow account has to reset their passwords, because half the planet who are nerds have Stack Overflow accounts. <laughs> Couple of nerds on this call. Yeah, 100% of the nerds on this call have Stack <laughs> Overflow uh, accounts. Um, More than 20,000 Linksys routers have leaked historic records of every device that ever connected to them, according to Ars Technica. If you have a Linksys router, Ooh. I would suggest you have a read, see what you make of it. Um, the next one then also has a fire extinguisher. It is also a true fact that Google yet again found some plain text passwords. In uh, this case, they found 14 years worth of them. It was to do with how G Suite deals with password resets. Um, so this is very unlikely to affect our listeners because they're, this has nothing to do with normal Google accounts. This is managed Google accounts like you would have if your corporation or your organization used G Suite in an Office 365 sort of way. And even or then, if, although or the, 50% of the people on this call, it actually it might I've, be 100%. I've been using, Allison. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So this is Google Suite is the new name of Google Apps for Business. Yes. Which was a free way to get your uh, uh, website email uh, taken care of with spam removal by Google, which is why I use it. So, yeah, and I'm grandfathered. I don't know whether you can say it's none of it. 
yeah, I'm grandfathered into the free plan and I'm never giving it up because I'm never, ever, ever getting a free plan again. Now, it's on a domain I don't use anymore, but I'm still never giving it up. <laughs> oh, mine is podfeet.com. Yeah. And there's no, so, you know, there's no danger in you telling people that because the MX record makes that quite clear. Yeah, so... Um, this it's nothing for you to worry about, Alison, because... Why? Okay, so the passwords were stored on a secure encrypted server, but they weren't hashed. They haven't been hacked, they haven't been leaked, they haven't been exfiltrated oh, out of okay. Google. Okay. So this right. is not good practice, and it's down. correct for Google to find and fix the problem, but the passwords haven't gone anywhere. They haven't actually been exposed. They were <sighs> just prone to being exposed because they weren't protected by best practices. So, they, I mean, Google should be slapped on the wrist for not doing things by best practices, but there's not been an actual harming leak. It just could have gone terribly, horribly wrong. Okay, good. Hence the fire extinguisher. You're fine. That sigh of relief. Yes. Um, Flipboard have reset everyone's password after a data breach. Um, link in the show notes to, quote, what users should do now from Naked Security. If you're a Flipboard user, I would suggest you follow said link and follow said advice because the Naked Security people have earned my trust over the years. Um. And then just to mention that Consumer Reports have found that Google uses Gmail to build a database of everything you've bought, and there doesn't seem to be a way to actually delete that database, which is a little bit disturbing. And there's a whole bunch more stuff in there and notable breaches and privacy violations. I just, yeah, suggested reading, so I suggest people read if they're interested. Um, Into the news part of suggested reading, um, just one I want to draw attention to here is just Another real-world example of why SMS is the weakest form of two-factor authentication. And I will give the usual caveat. To weak 2FA is still miles better than no 2FA because a low barrier for bad guys to jump over is still a barrier for bad guys to jump over. But having said that, the reason that if you have an option for anything but SMS, you should take it is because a hacking gang stole uh, cryptocurrency via SIM swaps that is worth millions of dollars. So basically they tricked a cell carrier into swapping SIM cards and then were able to use two-factor auth to get into people's Bitcoin wallets. Or sorry, it may not have been Bitcoin, crypto, cryptocurrency wallets. And in a related story that also crossed the wires, um, there's a first-hand tale of how someone's life was pretty badly ruined by SIM card hacking, uh, sort of SIM swapping like this. Uh, the title is the most expensive lesson of my life. Details of a SIM port hack. Basically, this guy lost many thousands of dollars by someone oh. tricking his cell carrier into moving his cell phone number to another SIM card. And it talks you through it from his point of view. And it also ends with, and here's the things I could have done beforehand to make all of this so much harder for the bad guys to do. So it's an interesting first-hand look at what it feels like to have this done to you, how, how it appears to you. Yeah. Hence suggested reading. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Irish Data Protection Commissioners have launched an investigation to see if Google's ad exchange violates the GDPR, which is interesting. And then what also crossed my radar is that the Wall Street Journal are reporting that the US Justice Department are preparing an antitrust investigation into Google, uh, but we don't have official confirmation of that. So that's why that's still down here in suggested reading. Lots of other stuff going on. In terms of opinion and analysis, then, there's a few good articles here I want to draw people's attention to. They're good as in they're well-written um, and interesting, <laughs> as opposed to positive. 
Google's image search has a massive celebrity sexism problem. Yeah, you just did the Wired article and it kind of explains the inherent sexism. I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah. AI, if you give it bad data, will learn bad things. AI is no panacea at all. That's what this basically boils down to. Fascinating article from The Independent. Inside Apple's top secret testing facilities where iPhone defenses are forged in temperatures of minus 40 degrees. Now, this is testing both in terms of physical abuse and in terms of privacy protections and hacking resilience. It's sort of all mushed into the one, which is kind of interesting. But those iPhones are frozen, boiled, dropped. Those things are abused horrifically in this lab, both in a digital sense and in a physical sense. It's, It's an interesting peep behind the curtain. And then I have two podcast recommendations, two specific episodes. The first is episode 915 of Planet Money, How to Meddle in an Election. It is the (laughs) fascinating story of how a political person in the US legally attempted to both affect an election and scientifically measure how successful the attempt was to try understand whether all of this stuff that's so important is it actually effective? Are, like, is manipulating social media actually worth your effort? Is the question being asked? And what they wanted was actual numbers. And the weird thing is, the only way to measure how easy it is to to mess with an election is to mess with an election. Which is grey hat at best, but fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. And by pure accident, because the, the poor guy had no idea that the small district he had picked for his experiment would involve a certain Judge Roy Moore running for office. He didn't know who the candidates would be when he picked his district. And then that happened. So it ended up being one of the most consequential elections of the last cycle so he accidentally strayed into a major celebrity election which added a bit of extra spice to the whole thing but anyway fascinating yeah. trying to be quantitative and scientific about something so wishy-washy and then the real story which is a bbc world podcast they did a one-hour special on uh, the new technology cold war which is basically if you actually want to get into the whole huawei from a point of view of 5g and that, you know, what all these intelligence agencies are so worried about and what's going on with all that. If you're interested in actually getting a sensible, reasoned discussion about this very complex topic, then I can recommend the BBC World's The Real Story episode about that. It's not hype and bluster. It's sensible. And then for some reason, okay. I've managed to duplicate the iPhone story here again. So you can delete that. <laughs> you really wanted that, right? Yeah. A bunch of stuff in Propeller Beanie as well. Going to skip all that. We now have palate cleansers. I'm not sure the first one is a palate cleanser, but I found it fascinating because this comes down to actually measuring stuff, and that's always fun. So what these guys wanted to try figure out based on available data was basically what do Americans actually die of and how does that compare to what Americans Google about in terms of health stuff. 
and to what the American mainstream media focus on about health stuff. Oh, so oh if, interesting. Yeah, so if more people die of heart attacks than of anything else, is that what most people Google for, and is that what the media focuses on? And the interesting answer is that in all, ca- in pretty much all cases, no, you know, neither the human beings nor the media actually properly, completely reflect what actually is the biggest health problems of of our time. But people's googling is much closer to what's actually important than oh. what the media focuses on. So we oh. appear to be more intelligent, which I thought was nice. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Uh, how how close to the top was tripping over their own underwear? It, it strangely didn't make the top ten. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little. That's a little Easter egg to tell you to go listen to Bart's latest episode of uh, Let's Talk Photography. Indeed, indeed. Then thank you. It, so find out how uh, tripping over your own underwear has something to do with photographer. It's one of those things I often hear, you know, because it is. It, th- there is statistics on how many people die from tripping over their underwear, and it's not zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's also an interesting chart is how basically how over or understated in the media are different things. So kidney disease is massively understated. It's actually very dangerous, but the media don't talk about it. Whereas mm-hmm. terrorism and homicide are talked about all the time, but your chances of actually dying from terrorism or homicide are teensy weensy tiny. So they're spectacularly overrepresented. Whereas oh, stroke. Wow. Yeah, that's. That's amazing. Yeah, terrorism is less than 0.01%. Oh, if you add homicide together, it's 0.1%, but 50, almost 60% of what the uh, the news tells us about is, is homicide and terrorism. Yeah, because they actually had to cut the uh. axis on the graph. It skips from 30 to 4,000 because otherwise they couldn't fit the top of that bar. Wow. Whereas on the other hand, diabetes and stroke, they're, you know, mildly under and mildly overrepresented, but they're not a million miles off. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it, it, I thought it was fascinating. And I like the fact yeah. that we're better at it than the media. I just I just took some sort of strange pleasure in that. I don't know why. And then the last one that is truly palate cleansing, um, it was tweeted out by Nocilla Castor with Stephen Getz. A wonderful, I, I, we would call it a political cartoon, but I that probably has negative connotations so let's call it a satirical cartoon. Um, yes. There's a big international conference coming up on privacy, and they really wanted Facebook to send along Mark Zuckerberg and um, ah, what's not Michelle Sandberg? I, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Cheryl Sandberg. That's it. Um, but they've said no, no, no. We'll send someone along for Facebook, but not. Mark or Cheryl. So it's a picture of, you know, all these government guys behind their flags. You know, there's a Chinese flag, a Canadian flag. It looks like an Italian flag, a British flag, a German flag. And then there's a guy sitting there testifying with a Facebook logo. And he says, Mr. Zuckerberg could not attend for personal reasons and hope you will respect his privacy. (laughs) Oh, satire is so sad. Satire is both, it, you have to laugh. You just have to. It's, it's the only way to Wait, As my mother used to always say, you have to laugh because we're too old to cry. Yeah, I like that. I'm learning a lot these days. You know, how big, how big is a piece of coal? I'm learning a lot. Right. <laughs> anyway. All right, Bert. Well, great episode. A lot of, lot of great information. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Two weeks worth of news. And my goodness, is my scroll bar small.
Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk to you in another couple of weeks. Indeed. And until then, you do, of course, know that you should at all times stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions. You can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeed.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at podfeed. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. Podfeet.com slash Patreon if you want to become a patron of the Podfeet podcast. If you want to join our Facebook group, where do you think you go? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. Don't like Facebook? Want to join Slack? Work fine with that. Go to podfeed.com slash slack. And if you want to go into the chat room during the live WWDC this week, go to podfeed.com slash chat. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, like Kiwi Spoon did after having been gone for quite a while, because we did it on a Saturday night, so it was Sunday for him over in uh, New Zealand, and Jane, who was there briefly, but we didn't get to talk very long, I think it was her very first time, you can do that by going to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.